We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Joining us for this episode is Roy Carroll, Premier League winner, FA Cup winner at Manchester United. He's been at a few other clubs and a few other really unique experiences. We're going to talk about that today from a goalkeeper perspective. Really interesting, really, really interesting. Love this conversation. Our podcast today is sponsored by Nemesis Goalkeeping, which is a goalkeeper business based out of Des Moines, Iowa. They run group individual sessions and have camps during the summer and winter months. Nemesis also travels to host clubs and provide training for clubs. In addition to training goalkeepers, they are goalkeeper glove distributor for No Goals Against, who are based out of Canada. No Goals Against offers top-notch goalkeeper gloves at affordable prices. Visit them at www.nemesisgoalkeeping.com. Another quick note, I've just returned from a week in England. I attended the Leicester City Tactical Insights course last Wednesday. It was unbelievable, really, really good. So I've done up a report for that. I will be publishing it this coming week on the Modern Soccer Coach Community platform with some detail on the different presentations. And we also have a webinar coming up all about playing with a back three as well. So jump on that, modernsoccercoach.com slash community. Check it out, 14-day free trial. And then it's only $6 a month. If you enjoy the podcast and you want to support it, it would mean a lot if you signed up to that there. So, okay, let me know what you think of this. At Gary Cardine on Instagram, at Gary Cardine on Twitter. Here is Roy. Enjoy. Roy, thanks so much for joining me today on the Modern Soccer Coach podcast. Really, really excited to have you on. Hi, Gary. It's nice to be on, mate. Thanks for having me on. So we had a good chat in, in Baltimore, and I'm a United fan, so I thought I could get a bit of gold from you on United. I dropped in a question about the best goalkeeper coach that you've ever worked with. I thought I'd get you talking about United, and you talked about Olympiacos. So <laughs> let's let's start there. You said it was a great goalkeeping experience in terms of your training. Like, why was that? What was so special about it? How personal the goalkeeper was with goalkeeping coach was with me at the time and uh, with all the goalkeepers. Um, the way we trained it was preparing for the game on a Saturday. It was I've never had that uh, goalkeeping training like that before. Normally, when you're in the UK, you just turn up, you do uh, volley shooting sessions and shoot drills and uh, technique work. But uh, when I moved to Olympia, August, it was completely something I've never been been across. I've been at many many clubs over my career, but this. Uh, goalkeeping coach in uh, Olympia August. Don't ask me to pronounce his name because I can't pronounce his name. It's one of those uh, difficult names. But it was uh, it was really interesting and uh, I've learned a lot from him. I've learned a lot of different techniques. I've learned um, my goalkeeping training improved when I was out there when I was 33 years old. So uh, it helped me further my career as well because uh, the type of training I was doing, it was, uh, it was intense but it was a lot of uh, rest periods in between the, the reps. Goalkeeping is, uh, although it's a different, it's almost like a different sport. But you, because everyone is a goalkeeper coach, it's a highly yeah. communicative role. So, 
was the language barrier not a problem? No, everybody knew me as the mad Irishman. <laughs> I used to play, I used to just shout, and they knew I was coming for the ball. Like, but the language barrier was quite easy because a lot of, all the Greeks spoke uh, English, so it was quite easy. Uh, but uh, it was just when um, we were doing team talks, it was a bit difficult because uh, we had a span, we had the Spanish uh, Valdez. He was the Barcelona uh, manager. Mm. He just got he got released there from Barcelona last week or two weeks ago. But he was he was my manager, and he was speaking in Spanish. Then it was uh, the translator would have spoken to Greek and then French, and then would came to me and I would have uh, just said a few words in English. So I was I was difficult difficult because. Uh, you, you lose that passion from the manager. You know what I mean. The manager is mm. not telling you that. You can see the passion uh, when you're in England. That uh, you can understand the manager. What the manager passion coming through his voice. But when it's being translated, it was a bit, a bit difficult that part. But uh, everything else was easy because they're all uh, they're all speaking uh, they're all speaking English to me, and which, which was good. And they understood me. Saying that, I don't know if they understood me, but uh, they always uh, stayed out of my way when I was coming to the ball. <laughs> We're obviously in, in coach coach education, coaching community. There's so much now about getting the information and delivering it in a really clear and precise way. You you yeah. mentioned there about the the passion. It's something that I, I talked to a coach last week about where we talked about charisma and how great managers can make an impact on a room just by their, yeah. their presence. You've worked with some of the best. Was that passion there on a daily basis? Was it was it every so often? How how do you, how does that charisma work, I suppose? Take 
that's what I was trying to do. Is that, uh, I might not become a manager, I might not become a, a outfield coach or whatever, but I want to give this to the young goalkeepers of Northern Ireland and wherever else I go to in the world. Is like everybody's different, and, uh, different opinions and different uh, ideas. So one coach might not speak to you, but another coach will speak to you. Cause that's just the way football is. But I have this argument all the time with the goalkeeper coach in Chicago. Yes. What makes a great goalkeeper coach? You're arguing with a goalkeeper coach. <laughs> Something wrong with the Irish, I tell you. <laughs> I was the same. I'm the same. No, uh, what makes a good goalkeeper coach? I understand this as well. You have to understand players. You have to understand the goalkeeper. You know what I mean? Every 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 kid, every goalkeeper you train is different. You have to you have to have an open mind, and, and uh, that's what I think to be a become a goalkeeper goalkeeping coach. And of course, you need energy because you need to give energy to the keepers as well. Because the goalkeeping coach in Greece, some days I used to come in, I'm tired, and I need a bit of energy, and he got me he got me going. He got me motivated in five or ten minutes of the training session. And at the end of the training session, I felt really, really good because it happens. Sometimes you can't give 100%, but you need a coach that can get you motivated. And uh, I was lucky enough, I had good coaches around me who got me motivated. And sometimes people say, you've got to be motivated because it's a job what you do, you can get for it, what you love doing. Sometimes you need need a kick off the backside. And and that's what I feel like as a coach. I'm just starting out to be a coach and... uh, and my belief is you can coach, but don't coach too much because uh, the kids have to learn themselves as well. That's the way forward. Because if you coach, 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 how are they ever going to learn themselves? You know what I mean? That's the big, the biggest, biggest aim in life. You have to learn yourself, and that's the way I had to learn because I never had a goalkeeping coach until I went to a full-time goalkeeping coach until I went to Manchester United. And I was watching videos. I was watching the first-team goalkeepers playing and watching what they were doing. And I, I coached myself a little bit at the start of my career. So uh, it's just different opinions. Everybody's got different opinions in the game. But at the end of the day, you want the best from your goalkeeper and uh, you try and work with your goalkeeper. And you have to have a friendship with them as well. And you can go into depths and you can go in and you can keep talking about goalkeeper. What's, what makes the best goalkeeping coach? The best goalkeeping coaches is like uh, you do your sessions during the week and you prepare your keeper the right way. And if he keeps a clean sheet, that's, that's the best goalkeeping coach you have. Not <laughs> simple um simple myth. <laughs> the when yeah so th- this role of having the player be a bit more responsible because we're now approaching a time where there's so much information that you can give people can you, you know, what, what was your role on a match day or half time what did you want from the goalkeeper coach yeah, like what you just said there you hit the nail on the head gary was um end of my career i was getting more videos sent through by email by my uh goalkeeping coaches and stuff like that probably in my last six seven years of my career especially in Northern Ireland uh, when we're doing penalties and stuff like that there uh, I've probably saved more penalties in my career in my last six seven years than in my whole career because we never had that opportunity to get videos because now you can you can pop online you can get every probably nearly every game in the world online you know what I mean you can watch keep you can watch penalty tables and stuff but for me uh, uh, for me when I was for games was I just concentrate what I'm going to be doing on the pitch because in them days, especially in the lower leagues in England, I was playing when I first went over the whole city, I was 17 years old, and we never had the opportunity what we have now to find out what what type of players we're playing against until you end up playing against them, and then you keep that in your mind the next time you play against them. But my preparing for the game was focus, work hard in training. I'm a type of guy who, if I don't work hard in training, I'm, I'm preparing the wrong 
five or six years, it was it completely changed. And uh, we we would have got emails from the from the uh, the guy who involved Ireland and sent them through. And I was sitting in my room and watching players, what way they cross the ball, what what would they take a free kick from, or, or what where would they come inside, would they cut inside and shoot. Uh, so the, the the technology is there now to work more. So that's why I said before the friendship with the goalkeeping coach is you need to have that now because basically you're 24-7 on the phone you know what I mean trust mm. me you're on the phone you're on the phone uh, if you're playing as a professional goalkeeping coach or in a, in a professional um, setup, you you basically you're on call for 24-7 because he's your player and anything that happens off the pitch he, he needs, needs to speak to you and you have your phone on all the time and that's what the relationship is all about goalkeeping coaches now yeah, this is interesting. So you're you're an experienced goalkeeper. The technology comes into the game and you embrace it because it can make you better. But say there's a 23-year-old, 24-year-old goalkeeper who's just doesn't really want the information. So when you're a goalkeeper coach, do you try and educate that player on why the information is helpful or do you basically then custom your work to suit the goalkeeper? Something I've observed over here in the US is at the at the pro level is that every time at halftime the whistle goes and the goalkeeper coach is waiting for the goalkeeper to walk off the pitch with them and talk with them. And again, it, it might be similar to what you're saying. It depends on the goalkeeper, but 
when it comes to half time and you don't really you can't really work on anything and you can't really get video what, what's the role of that goalkeeper coach sometimes i don't know I, sometimes i look at it like sometimes a coach might have come on to me and give me a slap around the head no, i'm really joking because i'm let it go no, i'm really joking i'm really joking no. uh, see i never had that because i never had that because uh, for me the coach can't do nothing else uh, they, they work all week with you and you come to a game on a saturday you can't change a game at half time, you know what I mean? Mm. If you, if you, it depends what happened that result. If, it's, if you're winning 2 0 and you made a good save and he comes up and gives you a pat in the back, that gives you another little boost, you know what I mean? But if you, if you let go and you're losing 3 0, you'd be safer just stepping back and letting him go, let come into the change rooms, let them cool down and, and relax, you know what I mean? Because if you go in and say, like, you could have done this, you could have done that, it's just going to ruin him for the second half. So, from my belief, as a coach, well, I'm, I'm, this is my new experience now coming is uh, you've done your you've done your job during the week. You just you just watch the game and get the video uh, get the video sent out uh, sent out to the keeper probably on a Monday morning and show him uh, show him the good things he did and show him what the what the things he could improve on. And that's the way things go in, in England anyhow because uh, we've got that technology now. Uh, even now you see I watch Manchester United and under uh, I think it was on the 19th Champions League Champions League. And um, my good friend Alan Fedders, he's the goalkeeping coach at Manchester United, and uh, uh, the keeper let a goal in. Next minute, the manager uh, Nicky Buck turns around, and uh, Alan Fedders is there with a big iPad, and it, they get they get the, the picture straight away. You see, you see what the keeper's done wrong. So for me, um, it's just coming on at half time or putting an arm around a keeper. You know, sometimes you might, sometimes a keeper might need that. So that's the same thing going back to the start what I said before. You have to know your goalkeepers before you can go any further. And uh, uh, sometimes you might be putting on around the keeper and say, come on, you, uh, come on you, can, you can come out in the second half and improve. Let's try and do better in the second half. But for me personally, when I was playing as a keeper, I've ne- never had a, a goalkeeper coach that would come up to me at half-time or even in the changing room and say anything to me. This, this old, old cliche that goalkeepers are mad, you've heard it a million times, but... You know. I don't know why but there's there's obviously there's a there's a great growth in in psychology support at youth levels today but it's it's basically delivered across the board to players i don't see it being tailored so much to to goalkeepers what's your thoughts is there a specific area mentally where clubs and sports psych specialists can help young goalkeepers And uh, they're going in games and they're losing quite heavily. And uh, they were saying to me, like, uh, my kids were thinking about uh, moving away from the game. So I, I, for me, what I, what I said to them, I said to them, bring them down to my uh, sc- uh, goalkeeping school and uh, let them come in for five weeks and see. How, and then he will understand with all the goalkeepers what's happening in this country. It's not just happening at one club, it's happening most of the clubs in Northern Ireland because they can't afford to bring the coaches in, you see. So
uh, we don't want to lose keepers. And uh, they come down and, and understand what all the keepers are going through. So they're talking with all the keepers. So that's really where what we're, what we're trying to get through the kids at the moment. It's like it happens all over the country. But you're 100% right. I, I do think kids need to understand the mental awareness of goalkeeping as well because it is a lonely it's a lonely place if you make a mistake. It is a lonely place. Trust me, I've been there. I've been there. It's a horrible feeling. Mm. But uh, kids, kids, for me, I tell the kids, I my first time I played for Balamala, I was playing in Dundella against up in Belfast. People in America won't understand how far <laughs> the manor. It's only 70 miles, but not many scouts would have came down the to the county of the manor. So I moved up. I played for Balamala, up in Dundella. Lost the game 5 2. A scout came up to me and said, Roy, we want you to come for the trials at Hull City. I've had five goals and I was thinking, is this guy having a laugh? You know what I mean? So I'm trying to tell the kids, it's not it's not how many goals you let in, it's how you perform and how you, your attitude towards a goal that does go in. That's what people are looking for in this day and age. Um, and never never put your head down. I'm not, I'm not, I try my best to help these kids, but 100% right to do, to do, do a lot for I think players, but I think they have to do more for goalkeepers uh, because you you make a mistake as a goal, strike a miss, strike miss five shots and score score one goal and win, win the game. He's the hero. But if we let a goal in uh, and we lose one 0 we're, we're the worst we're, we're the worst person in the world. I was so bad at this as a head coach in college, and only reflecting on it now to be I didn't. I suppose didn't see it from the goalkeeper's perspective and didn't really give them the the right amount of support and time. So I think as a head coach, it can be difficult. And I, I wanted to ask, you mentioned Alex Ferguson before. Was there a manager who basically you felt understood or at least had empathy towards the goalkeepers the best? See, the thing, so Alex, he, he told you straight, he face, you know what I mean? Some managers don't do it. So Alex Ferguson did tell you straight in the face if you play or not, you know what I mean? Mm. Uh, obviously, every ball, whatever, they did this before. I remember, the, I remember the time when it was playing against Arsenal in the semi-finals of the FA Cup, and I, I'm up, I had an okay game, I'd done, done a couple of good saves, and uh, we won the game 1-0. We had about five games, I think it was four or five games before the FA Cup final, and uh, I had the worst. I was, I didn't play well. I think four games, I was awful. You know yourself as a goalkeeper if you want to be fair or not, anyhow. And so Alex Ferguson came up to me, I think it was before the last game of the season in the league, and he said, I'm going to play, I'm going to play Tim Howard uh, because I think the last four games he played, you haven't played yourself. And I agreed with him. I said to him, You're 100% right, uh, Gaffer, because I'm not, being, I'm not being good enough. And then uh, he turned around and said, If we win, if we are winning in the, in the final of the FA Cup, His words there because I came on the last 10 minutes in the FA Cup final. That's never been done before, you know what I mean? The goalkeeper coming on in the last 10 minutes. Mm. And that's why I respect the man. He, he's, a, he's a respectful man from my point of view, uh, what he said there. Because um, another manager would have just put another outfit player on, but he, he, put me, he put me on the pitch and uh, credit to him. Like I got the winner, winner's medal. changing so much. Like I went to a guy over here called Patrick Bonner who's a legend in Ireland, uh, Ireland, Pleasant Celtic, and he works for UEFA and they're bringing out 
doing a, a goalkeeping air license. Uh, we're training in the North Ireland, and uh, what what that badge is all about is you're not just working with the goalkeepers; you're working with the outfit coaches. Don't know how long head coaches are going to turn around and say, "Yeah, you can take a session." You know what I mean? But I think it's a brilliant idea because you look at it, Gary. You look at it. Uh, we we've been we've been playing behind the back. I've been playing behind the back wall for 23 years. I've been playing against strikers for 24 years. So we know most. We know what strikers are going to do. We know what centre halves are going to do, and the right back and the left back is going to do. So why not do outfield coaching as well? It's a good opportunity for keepers uh, to be involved with the outfield players because Fabian Bartes told me 14 years ago we're not goalkeepers anymore. We're footballers, and it's it's like that now. Scary how Fabian Bartes understood it. 14 years ago, I looked at him and didn't know what he was on about. And uh, this guy's a legend. He's won. He's won everything in the game. And uh, it's turned out to be like that. We play more. We play more with our feet than we do anything else now. But Bartes could play, couldn't he? He could play. I think. He, I think he tried to play too much sometimes. <laughs> uh, like, but uh, uh, he, he was uh, a different breed. He was brought up in a different way because uh, he was brought brought up in a um, really hard surface. So his style of goalkeeping was completely different than, 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 than UK goalkeeping uh, coaches, um, goalkeepers. Mm. So every, like I say, everybody's different. You go up, you go around the world, you've got different coaches, so you coach different things. But at the end of the day, I always say, as long as you can keep that ball out of the back of the net, and that's the big thing. We, we can we can get carried away. And the, my worst thing when I look at goalkeeping now is the, the, the crossings has gone out of the game of the goalkeepers. Dominate the six yard box, don't dominate the 18 yard box, and that's what I would like to see keepers dominate coming from crosses. I know the balls are lighter and quicker, but keepers are getting faster and quicker as well, so uh, why not be brave and come out of crosses? That's a difference. That's, that's for another show, mate. Yeah, that's, that's for another one. one. <laughs> Let's stay on, stay on the United culture because it's obviously, especially in America, you know, we, we've got to expose the books and. Sir Alex Ferguson's le- legacy, coaches know a lot about it, but I've always read that it was a player-driven culture when it got up and running, and you joined at a time when it was really, really established. So I wanted to get your thoughts on those daily standards that the players drove. How was that done? Well, when I, when I first joined uh, United, it was I was nervous. I signed a contract three weeks before I had to These guys are superstars, you know what I mean? Superstars. And uh, I just turned up the train and I was there an hour and a half before everybody else because we all wanted to get in and be prepared what we're going to send the boys. But uh, the players just were normal people. I came in and shook my hand and welcomed them. They made me feel really welcome. But what you were saying there, the, player, the players give themselves motivation, nothing motivated. Just has to say a few words and then he walks back 
out again and that's it. You know what I mean? But at Manchester United, the players didn't, the players didn't work together as a team and push each other on. And that's what uh, football was all about because it's a team game. If one's not pulling, if one's not pulling, uh, pulling, uh, pulling the strings, uh, the whole team falls apart. So you have to work together and, uh, and that's what we do. Even in training sessions, you couldn't be- I couldn't believe when I joined Manchester United how, how fast the training was and how how hard it was, even in five sides, if you lost the game night, it's, 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 you go home and you're upset for a, a, a day because until you come back in again, because you hit, you, Manchester United, you hit a losing, you hit a losing, and, uh, and uh, okay, we, we go in the game, so we might let three goals in, but we win, win the game 4-3, you know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. what, that was Manchester United, it's all about the day. We'll just take a quick break here to keep up with Nemesis training, individual groups and camp schedule or to purchase NGA Glove brand. Please visit their website at www.nemesisgoalkeeping.com. You can also follow them on social media, Facebook at ngoalkeeping and NGA Iowa Goalkeeping, Instagram Nemesis under slash goalkeeping and NGA under slash soccer under slash iowa and then twitter at nemesis gk and at no goals against thanks so much for them for sponsoring the podcast please check out nemesis goalkeeping back to roy apologies because you've probably got this question at least a thousand times but uh, I, I wonder what one <laughs> standing behind roy keen in the tunnel oh that one i <laughs> <laughs> you don't look bothered. I I watched it again yesterday. Like you don't seem bothered at all. So was that something that you saw regularly, or was this your focus on the game? Personally, for me, it was just I was focused on the But uh, I did I did understand what was happening, and what was going on around me. And uh, but Roy Keane, he's I always say I do I do a lot of talks and stuff. And uh, Roy Keane, he was our he was our engine. He was our leader. And uh, I've always said this, I always said that uh, that tunnel got matches now where they did that game because mm. we were so motivated after what Roy Keane did. If you have your captain coming back the whole way back to the tunnel to help your, one of your teammates uh, because of Patrick Vieira, that uh, it gives you a lift, it gives you a lift. Like, and it showed we were, it was a great game. That I was an awesome in them days in the early, mid 2000s. Awesome, mind you. It would be hatred to win games, and it was like you'd do anything to win the game, and that was the truth. I don't care, like you know, what I mean, if you go out, you want to win that game. We were, I think it was four two that ended up. You know, what I mean, it was some game, and uh, them games, them games in the past, like I don't think you ever get them games again. Especially at Highbury when it was really small ground, and everybody was so close in the tunnel, could even swing a cat in it because it was that small. I read that you you made a decision to leave United because you wanted to be number one. And we don't really talk about this, so there's not a lot of uh, reading on it. On number twos, it's a difficult role whenever you're not the number one. And it's obviously, you mentioned they're coming on the cup final, but there's not, a, there's never subs. No one ever subs on the goalkeeper to get a game, rarely, unless there's an injury. So how can clubs help their number twos? Or is it just a case of you just need the matches? No, that's the thing. That what I said there, number one. I want to be a number one. Like I look back now, I said there's, there's not a number one, not a number one in, in, in the game because end of the day, there's always someone behind you trying. 
kind of push you and get you get you spot like and you have to work every day, you know what I mean? You have to work hard. Be a goalkeeper, you 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 end up you end the team then you have to keep your spots, you know what I mean? That's the thing that we try and do. And I went to West Ham no one was gonna start the season, uh, because uh I'll apologize you I bought me in and who was gonna start, but uh if you don't play well you're gonna be dropped, you know what I mean? Uh, so the thing what you're saying there, number one, number two is right, okay, we'll go down that route number one and number two. But uh, it's hard to be a number two, is right. It's very hard to be the sub keeper because uh, deep down you don't want anything to happen because you want the team to do well. But even deeper down, you do want something to happen because you want to get a game time. And that's me talking to the talking the truth because everybody deep down wants to play a game of football. If not, there's something wrong with you. Yeah, there's something that's not quite there's something wrong if you don't want to play uh, play the game. And um, when uh, when I was told uh, to bring another keeper, I could stay in Manchester United for another years, so Alex offered me another four years, but um, I had a lot of talk with uh, a lot of senior players at Manchester United, especially with Roy Keane, and we talked, and, and uh, I looked back and said, uh, what, what am I going to do, I'm going to sit on the bench for the next four years, or sit at the stand for the next four years, or might get a couple of games in the, in, in the next four years, I'm not that type of person, you know what I mean, I'm from Northern Ireland, I'm, I always, my dream was to be a professional footballer and play as many games as I can, and uh, and I decided to move on to West Ham. You finished your playing career back in Northern Ireland and I wanted to get your thoughts on how has the football or the culture, football culture changed since since when you left there to sign with Hull City 20 years before it? I tell you, when I first came home, um, not many people know this, like, but when I first came home, I struggled. I struggled for the first four months coming back home because like, it was part-time football training. Okay, it was part-time, but we were training three times a week. The manager might give me Monday and uh, off and I come in Tuesday and Thursday training. Um, but I, coming from a professional background, coming into a part-time uh, situation was very difficult. Uh, but I got I got over it. Um, it took me a while to get over it. Got used to training twice a week. But I done my own training as well. You see, so I kept myself focused. And um, but the thing is, in the, the Irish league, it's 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 changing as well. Like you have a look at. Uh, I don't know if you ever watched the Irish League now, you've been living up there for quite a while now, mm. mate, but we're having full-time football now, there's teams over here are full-time, getting full-time training, so it is slowly changing, but it's still that standard of football, which is very, very tough, it's, it's, I can home with an open mind, knowing this league is going to be a hard league, because it's on the mile an hour, the lower, the, lower, the lower you go, it's a lot harder for keepers, because um, the standard, Players don't understand the game as much. I don't mean this disrespectful, but players will run more into the keeper than they do in the higher league. Because when I played international football, the ball would be passed back to me, centre half passed the ball back. The striker would never run into me. They would just hold the line and let me play the ball and try and get the ball out past them. But in the Irish league, they would just run down, run you down until until the legs just give up. You know what I mean? And you don't have time to pass. You don't have time to pass the ball as much as you do in the higher league. And uh, that's that's the other thing when you're coaching. Uh, you're coaching keepers now to play off the feet. Uh, uh, a lot. But what standards are they going to make it? You know what I mean? Are they going to make 
uh, a high league, you push them to play in the highest league you can. So if you're going to coach them the same way what you're going to be coaching the Premier League keeper. But then you have to realise they have to learn their own way. And so they have to adopt themselves. I can't do this. I can't play out from the back. And the pitches are not the best over here in the winter. That's the other thing. You know what I mean? But the, uh, the culture, the culture uh, Irish League football is changing a little bit because the all teams going full time now. They talk about Clinton going full time. Lon, who is being brought over uh, a guy from America, but he's from Lisbon. Mm-hmm. He's from Lon, and he's at full time. Crusaders gone full time. Then Phil's probably going to go full time as well. So there's four or five teams who are going to go full time football, which is going to be good, good for the country, I think. Better for the younger players who's going to uh, compete in the Irish League. But uh, for me, if an Irish League player who's 16, 17, 18 years old is good enough, they're going to end up going across the water anyhow to England or Scotland or even mainland uh, Europe because the way things are going in England at the moment, Gary, is. Uh, is uh, there's a lot of foreign players coming in the British British football, which is pushing the British players further afield, like Germany and Spain and Holland. Be interested in the next five or ten years what's going to happen in Irish league football. Uh, last couple for you. Desc- yeah. Describe yourself as a goalkeeper coach. Mental? No, I'm only joking. I'm only joking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only, I'm only kidding. No. Uh, like I said before, yeah, open mind. You have to be open minded. Uh, passion. Uh, and you have to you have to have energy. That's the main thing. Energy. You have to have an open mind. An open mind is important one because you have to understand what these kids. Uh, everybody's comes back from a different background, and that's what I'm coaching at the moment. I'm coaching kids between nine and sixteen year olds. So uh, that's what I'm coaching at the moment, and uh, uh, that's the three things I think to make a, a coach, uh, my coach. Uh, that's what I believe. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, best player played with. Ronaldo work ethic that he's so famous for was that did you see signs of that when he first came I wish someone could have videoed 
Ronaldo when he first came to Manchester United and the whole way to leave and horrendous and show people how hard he had to work for to get to where he is today. He worked so hard to be where he is today. And he, and he was in the gym every single day. He was doing his feet work, he was doing his warm work, he was doing his free kick work. And uh, it wasn't just two hours, on the, it wasn't just two hours. You're talking about four, five, six, seven hours a day. He was working on his on his, on his, on his, on his uh, football career. And that's why he, that's the way he is, and that's why he's still playing the highest level, 34, 33, 34, I think mm. he is now. And uh, it's scary what people say, I want to be a professional footballer, but you don't want to put the hard work into it, you know what I mean? It's all about hard work, uh, ability can get you as far as can get you far, but you have to work, you have to, if you want to go further, you have to work hard as well. Mm. And uh, Ronaldo, Ronaldo had that, he had that, he came over, he came over from Sporting Lisbon, like, uh, we were we had a we would uh, touring around America and we stopped off in Sporting Lisbon to play Sporting Lisbon and this young man was just unbelievable. All the players were saying how good he was. And three weeks later he came to Manchester United. Couldn't speak a word of English. After two or three months he was speaking broken English and he worked hard on his English and he it, it just proves that if you have the work uh, if you have the work ability you can go a long way in the game. And he has the skill. He always had the skill. That's why he's. That's why he's been playing. That's why he's been playing at the highest level for, for so many, for so long, so long. I think he still has it. He could play for another two or three years because he's, he's just a, he's just a machine. He had to change his game a bit. It wasn't easy at United as well when he arrived. No, so, uh, United. You have to work. You work hard. Uh, when players came to Manchester United, it was a different type of football. Uh, strikers had to work back and run and run it all over. You go, you go there. You go to Spain. Strikers uh, normally just stay up, stay up the front line. Uh, you come to Man, you come to England. You have to work hard. It's working. You're working hard. You know what I mean? You mm. could be doing about nine. You could be doing about nine, ten, ten miles in a game uh, when you come to England. And uh, Ronaldo had to change a lot in his lifestyle, and he did. He did. And it was a great honour. It was a great honour to play with him, and uh, it was great to see him. And, and great to see. Him. I played against him when I was playing for Northern Ireland against Portugal. And you know, you know what? I'd never seen him for ten years, and he came up to me and he shook my hand, and we were talking like we have. We met the day, uh, uh, we were talking the day before. But he's that type of guy. He's a down the earth guy, and uh, he's one of the best uh, out there as well. And uh, everybody says to me, Ronaldo and Messi, but both both of them's great players. But for me, I played for Ronaldo, and I knew what Ronaldo went through, and uh, and how hard he worked to get away he did. And Messi did the same thing. Because uh, I've read a few books about Messi, and he worked hard as well to get the way he was. So mm. everybody said Ronaldo and Messi were great players, but they had the work. And the people like that need to know that. Uh, uh, you have to work to, to you have to work to be a, a, a top professional footballer. Roy, thank you so much. This was amazing. Really enjoyed it. No problem at all. Hey, uh, forty-five minutes that was. That's <laughs> long talk. I didn't realise it was that long. <laughs> right. It flies, doesn't it? <laughs> I know, I know, mate. I just go on. I just love talking about uh, goalkeeping and football. That's uh-huh. my life. My life. But it was nice, nice to be on your podcast, and it was really nice. And hopefully, you'll be back in America someday. I uh, really enjoyed myself in Baltimore. Brilliant. Hopefully, fingers crossed, I'll be back over and see a few more people. 
thanks so much to Roy for his time and his insight there. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Loved it, loved it. Um, definitely not a goalkeeper expert and always say that whenever we bring a goalkeeper coach or a goalkeeper onto the show. But I do enjoy, as Raddy at the Red Stars would definitely confirm, I do enjoy a good debate or an argument or a discussion about goalkeeping and I do find it fascinating as we are more aware and as we get more information how we build our environment and how we work alongside our goalkeeper coach our goalkeeping staff our playing philosophy the club philosophy i think it's becoming more and more important and i think that changes that was the interesting thing for me and roy's conversation is that changes as the goalkeeper changes so the type of work you do as a young goalkeeper maybe more technical driven and then the work that you do as you get older into the professional game maybe more scouting driven and then the psychological part changes slightly with pressure but you can see that's always under the surface it's always there the psychological part is so big so i think how the goalkeeper is changing it was really really interesting but i think the most impressive thing for the interview was how Roy's approach to getting better and his approach to the profession. You can see how how passionately he talks about the game, but also how much he talks about getting better and how much he learned from all those different environments. And he said, you know, still getting better at Olympiacos and still looking to get better even when he went to Linfield. I think is really, really important. And, and sometimes we think of development as a destination process when we're even at the youth level when we're looking at saying all right what does this player need to become and and that can change every year and it can keep changing and I think that's the beauty of any position not just goalkeeping I think it's the the drive to get better the willingness to be open-minded and I think that's a great message to send so if you reverse engineer it as, as a coaching community you know how do we I suppose grow that in young players goalkeepers and outfield players I suppose it's just how we talk about the game and how we keep putting little things in their heads to try and make them more more curious about it. Uh, with the video work, with the training work, with a little bit of psychology. Roy mentioned there about the goalkeepers that he works with in Northern Ireland about support network and helping each other out. And I think that is so, so important. So even though it was all about goalkeepers, I got a lot out of it about you know, how we're building environments and even for different positions I think that's going to become a, a huge thing as well in the future is alright well how are we going to develop players who just want to get better in every position so yeah really really enjoyed it big thanks to Roy for coming on and we'd love to hear your thoughts on it at Gary Kernin on Twitter at Gary Kernin on Instagram thanks so much for listening to the podcast webinar coming on the Modern Soccer Coach platform very very soon so please check that out thanks again for all your support have a great week goodbye Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.